Welcome back to the Fantasy Front Office Podcast for the week of January 29th, 2018. This week we are covering the Yelich and Kane movement in Milwaukee. Is there a bronze siding at first base? What did the Marlins take? Of course, we gotta get in a bunch of mailbag questions. Ozuna, Doolittle, Felipe Rivera, Paxton, Ray, so many names to get through this episode. And now, entering your ears, your Fantasy Front Office. I am joined in the front office with Todd, Phil, and Keith. Guys, we actually had some hot stove news. Anything jump off the page to you? The Brewers have, I think, 16 outfielders now. That's pretty cool. I saw a thing that was tweeted out. I shared it with the chat. It was second string outfield for the Brewers is much better than the first string outfield for the Marlins now. <laughs> I that, did see that. And that's pretty sad with what they you know, had last year. Ozuna just got named number one in left field by the Shredder. Stanton, obviously, is what he is. And Yelich is pretty awesome also. Todd, anything jump off the page at you? I just think it's kind of interesting how the Brewers decided to take one of their better positions and just upgrade it and make it maybe one of the best in all of baseball. Kind of a bold strategy. That is definitely a bold move, Cotton. You want to know what else is a bold move? <laughs> all right. Them talking about moving Braun to second base, potentially. Is that is that a real? Because like, I, I think I, I actually belly laughed when I heard it. And I don't know if he was being facetious or if he was actually being serious. But if he was being serious, I would love. I'm going to get MLB, uh, pa- uh, whatever, League Pass or whatever it is, so that I can actually watch every single one of his innings <laughs> at defense. And I don't even want to see him hit. I just want to yeah. watch him play second base. His uh, UZR is going to tank worse this year. So let's let's dive into this right off the bat. We're going to break down this Brewers-Marlins deal in three parts because there is so much impact Let's take it off the top with Yelich and Kane in the outfield. What does this do for both of them batting in Milwaukee? For me, it actually really improves Christian Yelich's value. And I know I've seen kind of mixed reviews. Some people say it's going to add, you know, six to eight home runs. Some people say it's going to, you know, give him one or two or something like that. But based on his profile, and he's a heavy line drive, heavy ground ball hitter. I kind of relate him to what Domingo Santana is. They both kind of hit more ground balls than you'd like to see, especially in Miller Park. But the way that I see it is this could give Yelich, I think, probably six to eight more home runs. The fly balls that he does hit have a lot of carry to him. The line drive that he hit could use a little extra loft what Miller Park provides so I think for Yelich this definitely improves his value I think if he was projected for 25 home runs and 22 steals I think this probably bumps him up in at least three of each based on how quickly the Brewers run and that park factor so he does have 30-30 potential I don't know if I'd give him 30-30 I'd be more comfortable saying like 28-25 I was going to bring up the fact that it feels like to me that the Brewers number one or or like he said, a team that is going to just let their team run wild. That's just what they do. That's a big part of their game. They're almost like the Royals a few years ago. Pretty much top to bottom, their team runs. The other thing to keep in mind is is that it does also seem like the team itself has shifted towards that fly ball revolution because of the park. And, and so it seems like maybe they're trying to teach their guys 
to hit the ball in the air. So that would be something interesting to see. Because if he can get a little bit of loft and elevation on those line drives, because Yelich is a good hitter. I mean, maybe he's just never been taught to get some loft on the ball. If someone actually shows him how to do it, you know, maybe it's part of their mainstream in the core of what they're doing right now, it seems like. I don't know. I think that it could be a really big thing for Yelich and Kane, to be honest with you. I like, like that you said that because it may actually trigger an approach change for Yelich. It may not be like a, a skill set thing. It could be like you're saying, Phil, that this may be just a time for him to use this as an excuse and say, you know what? I'm going to try and hit more fly balls because now I'm in a park that's actually fly ball friendly. Right. I, I'd be interested to see, especially in spring training and the first two weeks of the season, if you see even a slight adjustment to fly balls, I think I would start to buy in early like we maybe should have, like with Zimmerman last year and with Alonzo. Yeah, I definitely think this trade definitely makes him a top 15 outfielder locks him in there, potentially 10 to 12. But also Lorenzo Cain, he hit 15 homers last year, so maybe if he can get to 20 now in Miller Park, you know, he stole 26 bases last year and then 28 back-to-back years, so that's something also Lorenzo Cain could be a 20-30 guy, potentially. All right, so moving on to the next dynamic of this, this puts the Brewers with, as Keith put it, so many outfielders, and a potential remedy to that before trades is Ryan Braun taking already admittedly reps at first base, and potentially he even mentioned second base at the little Brewers fan fest that they had over the weekend. How do you see this impacting Eric Thames, Jesus Aguilar at first base, and potentially Jonathan VR as well at second? I truthfully think the Braun to second thing is him honestly hopefully just being facetious because he was probably the worst third baseman of all time for the the time that he was there. Like legit, he was really bad. So if he goes to first, I think he's going to be a below average first baseman because I don't think that you can just throw a glove on a guy. The impact on Thames and Aguilar, I'm a little disappointed that Aguilar is not going to be able to get enough at bats because he showed a lot of promise. I think Thames is going to be okay because I think he's still going to be the fourth outfielder and the backup first baseman. So I think he'll get probably about the same amount of at bats as he did in 2017 because he had his issues, you know, staying healthy anyways. But I really think the Brewers aren't done trading yet. I'd put money on either Santana or potentially Braun even getting traded. Yeah, and as it sits right now, I think Santana may be the odd man out. I don't understand how that's possible based on his 30 home run season he just had. But yeah, either way, they're going to have some type of rotation that goes throughout that offense that may leave Domingo and Eric Thames and Jonathan Villar and a couple other guys just short, maybe 50 or 60 at bat. Like you are saying, Todd, I definitely expect another trade or some type of move to come down in the next few weeks. But if not, I mean, it's hard to place Domingo Santana right now. Also, Braun is going to be tough to move because he now has 10 and 5 rights. That means he has to accept any trade offer. He's got to accept being traded. And maybe the Brewers saying, hey man, we're going to need you to play first base is just enough to piss him off to actually want to get traded. I don't know. Maybe that that was the second base thing. Maybe. Maybe he's (laughs) putting it out there so that teams will take a chance on him. But at the same time, he's stuck around in Milwaukee for so long through so many terrible seasons now that the Brewers make moves to win now why leave he didn't really (laughs) stick around he got caught cheating wasn't it twice he got suspended twice and, and he stayed on the team because no one wanted right. him. And he's been injury prone since then too. So I mean, that's the other thing you got to think about is that he's not really a guy that is someone that is great for the clubhouse and the morale for the team and not the greatest person to market, things like that. So I mean, honestly, he's not even on a great contract. I mean, it's, it's kind of expensive for where he's at in his career. So take him outside of uh, Miller Park and does he put up the same numbers as he did last year? I don't think so. So I, I, I think that's why they're going to have a lot of trouble trading him. 
because one, like Jeremy brought up, you got to pick a spot where he wants to go. And then number two, you got to pick somebody that's going to take the contract or give you prospects. So I don't know. I just don't see it happening. Because Braun makes, I think, 21 million a year for the next three years. He's under contract at least until 2020. So it's a tough contract to move for sure. All right. Now let's dive into what the Marlins got out of this deal. Other than salary relief, what impact does this have on Lewis Brinson and the rest of the haul that they got? I hear Lewis Brinson publicly demanded a trade already. Just are, you ser- are you serious? No. Whoa. No, I'm just oh. kidding. Um, <laughs> everybody else has on the team, so I figure why not him? But what's funny about the, the quote-unquote salary dump is that Yelich is actually on like a really team-friendly contract as far as like where his value is for his war, so it's just hilarious. But as far as Brinson's concerned, it's weird how he's been traded around a few times already in his young career with how toolsy and how, how much potential he has. It almost makes you think that each team was like, wait a second, this is something I don't like about him. We're going to ship him off while he still has hype. It almost feels like some sort of situation like that. I hope it's not, though. And the other guy that was traded, the other main piece of that uh, trade was Isan Diaz, who also yep. has been traded several times. And another one, <clears throat> top 100 you know, prospect, if I'm not mistaken, uh, second base or shortstop prospect uh-huh. that was with the Diamondbacks, um, then traded to the Brewers and now has been traded to the Marlins. So still young for him. I think he's 21 or 22, but I've heard good things about his bat. So both of those guys could get play at some time in 2018 and be productive. The thing of Diaz, though, is he's a full-time second baseman now. They pretty much said he can't stay at short. And he had 222 and uh, 450 plate appearances last year in uh, single A. So I think the Brewers kind of fading him a little bit. Um, that is weird that both players were traded by two teams already. Yeah, the, the comp that I heard just recently was Rugnet Odor, which doesn't Ooh, does really not bode excite well. me. <laughs> does not really excite me, but um, still super young. I mean, you can't put yeah. any kind of cap on, on him yet until you get some major league at bats and some playing time underneath him. Keith, how do you feel about Rugnet Odor? Um, you know, I, I don't know. He's a nice guy. He's got a good right hook. He's he listens a, to the podcast, so... I bet he does. He knows where you live. Well, you should check out Keith's <laughs> article about second baseman to avoid, and I'm pretty sure Odor featured heavily. Yeah, I uh, I was. I think I was asked to give uh, 250 words on why I don't want to draft Odor, and when I delivered 500, my editor at BP was like, hey man, we're, we're kind of looking for for 250 and I was like I just had a lot to say (laughs) (laughs) all right so after the break we're going to get into all sorts of fantasy baseball questions that our listeners have and this episode we are diving mostly into the mailbag most of these questions came to Keith via his AMA over on Reddit about fantasy baseball. So here are some of our favorites. Let's dive into the relief pitching related questions first. Guys, what are your favorite targets for non-closers who are also solid relief pitchers when it comes to most of your ratios, ERA, whip, K per nine, and holds? I hate to even say this, but the entire Yankees bullpen, because not being facetious, but like Chad Green, um, Dave David Robertson, there's quite a few guys out of that bullpen that put up uh, 10, 11, 12 uh, K per nine and sub one, one uh, whip, two, a little bit over two ERA. Um, But, you know, there's the usual suspects also. Davinsky, I talked about a lot last year. Andrew Miller, everyone knows. Um, Archie Bradley is a guy that you guys are probably going to like a lot. Yeah, which I don't know if we we can kind of debate that later, but I'm not sure if he's going to be eighth inning, ninth inning, how that's going to 
necessarily fall down. But I guess my favorites are probably like uh, Dylan Batansis. I mean, you already mentioned him yeah. with the Yankees bullpen, but I think after his struggles last year, I really like him to rebound, and he could be a tremendous value in this year's drafts. Um, uh, Nate Jones is one that kind of comes off the top of my head. The, the kind of deep league guy, and I'm probably going to butcher his name, so help me with this, but it's um, the reliever for, I think, the Mets. Drew Swarzak. No. Uh, Streckenrider. Oh, wow. Streckenrider. So, anyways, um, I was kind of looking at him and just doing some some research on strikeouts minus walks and, and all that stuff, and, and his name kind of rose to the top of that list as somebody who I didn't really have on my radar at the end of last season, but somebody who I'm, I'm definitely interested in in this year. For me, a guy I've always been high on is Michael Givens. Uh, he's been in the league for three years. All three years, he's had at least a 10 uh, K per nine or higher. He lowered his walk rate last season, and with Britton Hurt, um, he's at least going to be the eighth inning guy. Maybe he has an outside shot of closing. Also, Kyle Baraclaw, high strikeout guy. He's a guy whose walk rate is really high, though. It's been over five back-to-back years. And then um, kind of a sleeper, Hector Rondon. He had a rough season last year, but he had a career high in K per nine. And he's has a really good shot of being the eighth inning guy for the Astros So because they lost Gregerson. So those are kind of my big three of uh, non-closing relievers. Now, does uh, Baraclaw even qualify for this? Because he may end up the closer there in Miami. Well, I I heard they might stick with Ziegler because they still have him. He struggled last year, but he just had a uh, knee surgery. So he should be healthy going into spring training. But kind of, I mean, it kind of depends. Obviously, Bearclaw is a better pitcher, but they might go up to veteran in the ninth. Which, I mean, how many games are the Marlins going to win? So <laughs> Never know. So we are not a Marlins podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> not not really today. We'll have to keep that under the wraps if we can get a guest on. So, all right, let's move on to our second question here. He can keep Robert Ozuna or Sean Doolittle. Now, given e- how each finished their seasons, why is Sean Doolittle ranked so low comparatively to Ozuna? Is it the fear that he just won't close? I think it's kind of a two-part thing. I think one is age bias. Um, Ozuna is 22 years old and been dominating for his entire career. Um, Doolittle is going to be 31 this year um, and has had a little bit of injury concern throughout his career. So I think those are the two things that are going to make Ozuna drafted much, much higher uh, than Doolittle. Plus, as you mentioned a second ago, the role itself is a little bit more in question, I would say. And, and for me, Ozuna is being drafted around the 90s as far as ADP, and Sean Doolittle is taken around the 150s. So um, Ozuna is the better pitcher in my opinion. Um, I would like to have him on my team, but I don't want to spend the top 100 draft pick to get him. So I, I in this situation, given their values, I would pick Ozuna over Doolittle, but given it on draft day, I'm taking Doolittle probably nine times out of ten. Yeah, and I completely agree with Keith. Obviously, between the two, you're keeping Ozuna. He's just been incredible, and he's so young, too. But, I mean, Doolittle is scary because he is left-handed. Will they choose to use the lefty earlier in the game? And Ryan Madsen last year was incredible. one 8 3 year a one 9 9 fib. So, you know, they have a lot of options with the Nationals, and you never really know if the Nationals bullpen. So, The other thing about uh, that situation is, is that if you keep Ozuna, you can still draft Doolittle way later in the draft. If you keep Doolittle, someone's taking Ozuna in one of the first picks. Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's – Kind of shift this closer talk. What do we feel about great closers on bad teams? Is it, uh, how do we feel about that? 
I think come, part of that comes down to strategy. I, I'm typically not going to pay for saves in, unless it's in a particular format. So for me, I'm not going to be you know biased against closers that are on bad teams. I'm going to take some shots on guys like Fernando Rodney, who nobody wants to own, but I'm going to pay you know like a 300 pick for him. So um, I'm not going to shy away from you know potentially good closers on bad teams. But that's more of a strategy thing and less of an actual skill set thing. My thoughts on great closers on bad teams is they're going to be traded at some point soon, and they're going to become an eighth inning guy. Um, and that's that's true um, for most of them, because a lot of them are guys. If they're on a really bad team, they're not helping their team as much as they could get. Uh, someone like Gleyber Torres uh, was traded for uh, Araldis Chapman, you know. So if you have a great closer on a bad team, might as well dump them for whatever you can get. I mean, perfect example. That's uh, David Robertson last year at the White Sox getting traded to the Yankees and being a guy who's using the sixth and seventh inning. So, right. Yeah, that's a good point. So, keeping this in mind, let's go to our resident Pittsburgh homer here. <laughs> um, what about Felipe Rivero? Like, he just signed a essentially team friendly three year deal. More or less, he's going to be the closer there, is he not? Yeah, yeah Rivera's the closer. Uh, he's a lefty who throws 98-99, uh, consistently touch 100. Uh, the problem is Pirates probably not going to be great this year. So you would definitely – he has top five closer potential. You put him on the Red Sox or Dodgers, he, I think you get picked top five. But, you know, on a bad team, maybe that drops him to around 10th, even lower. So that that's definitely the effect a good closer on a bad team has. If I see him slide in drafts this year, I may actually go against my typical strategy and, and pick him. Um, right now, he is the sixth closer going off the board in Fantrax ADP. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of a, a, a price you're going to have to pay around pick 100. I'm not normally going to go there. But if I see him slide in certain drafts and certain formats, guys just stay away from closers. So if he creeps into the 130s, into the 140s, I may pull the trigger and, and snag somebody like him because he does have, you know, top top upside. So I, I'm not going to shy away from picking him this year. The other thing about um, great closers on bad teams is if they do stay on the team, they typically do actually get a lot of saves because bad teams don't score a lot of runs most of the time. So it's yeah. a close game a if lot they of close do games, win. Yeah, right. If they do win, it's one, two, or three runs. They're not blowing people out usually. So there is potential for greatness, but like I said, I think in today's market uh i think mlb executives recognize the the value that those relief pitchers have especially on cost controlled contracts um i think they dump them pretty pretty rapidly well and even take arizona into account last year they went from like 69 wins the year before so they were coming into the year expected to be a a bad team by the majority and they signed fernando robbie he got 39 saves for us and it took us from being a bad team to a playoff team. And every year there is one of these bad teams that go from one of the worst records in the league to making the playoffs. So maybe a gamble might be worth it. Um, Speaking of Felipe Rivera, our next question comes in to grade the trade. Felipe Rivera and Josh Hader, who it's rumored to be working out of the bullpen, is where he's going to start for Milwaukee being traded for Alex Reyes and Josh Bell. This is a 14-team dynasty with categories. It's a saves-hold league. He's not worried about having saves and holds because you can pick them up off the waiver wire. Where do we see... Is is this a decent trade, essentially, is where he's asking. 
Honestly, I love it. Uh, I give him an A minus. I was beating the Josh Bell drum last year, and the only thing that uh, overshadowed the Josh Bell drum was the people that didn't even pick Cody Bellinger to win the MVP. Or not the MVP, the Rookie of the Year. Um, I picked Josh Bell to win the actual Rookie of the Year last year, and he did exactly what I wanted. I don't think anybody expected Bellinger to do what he did. Um, I just, yeah, Alex Reyes to me is is an amazing uh, elite level talent. I think at some point during the year he's going to be a top top of the rotation starter for the Cardinals, and that's not just me with my rose colored glasses on. <laughs> um, that that's me legitimately saying what I think. Um, and and like I said, Josh Bell is awesome. Uh, we already talked about Felipe Rivero, and if Josh Hader is going into the bullpen, I think he gives you little to no value, especially right now. Yeah, I agree with Phil. I actually give this an A plus. I think uh, this is probably one of the best long term, short term dynasty trades I've seen in a long time. Um, I, I did a, a write up on Josh Bell a few weeks ago. Um, I actually compared him to Chris Bryant, and nobody yelled at me, so that was cool. Um, but his his actual <laughs> Not even skill, Cubs fans? No, nobody. I mean, that means probably nobody read it, but. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. No, he uh, honestly, his skill set mirrors very closely to what Chris Bryant's is. The only difference is Chris Bryant actually puts the ball in the air, and Josh Bell still continues to pound the ground ball. So um, his exit velocity, what his patience at the plate is, a lot of his skill sets really translate well if he just kind of in his second year changes that swing path just a little bit. And if he was going to do it, why not do it this year? When the Pirates are kind of in the in the middle ground, he doesn't have to worry about his playing time. Why not tinker with that swing this year? So I love this trade. I think Alex, Alex Reyes is, is going to be a stud, whether he's in the bullpen or he's starting. Um, I think Hatter and Rivero have good good potential. But, man, if you can get a talent like Reyes and who I think is a potential breakout in 2018 for, for Josh Bell for that, for two relievers, I, I'm 100% on board. This is a great trade. Especially, I believe you said this is a saves and holds league. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, this is an incredible deal. You know, Josh Bell's a guy. He's going to, I think, be a consistent 30 home run guy a year, high on base percentage. And Alex Reyes has ace potential. Uh, I believe Phil said earlier that Reyes is going to be used in the bullpen this year, but you're trading two relievers. And then you have the upside of Reyes for the future. This is an incredible trade. A plus for sure. When the thing is, is they're going to start him in the bullpen. Um, they're going to use him in the, the quote-unquote Andrew Miller role where they give him a couple of innings at a time. And then I think later in the year they're going to transition him towards starting again um, because I just don't think our, our rotation is going to be good enough to contend. Um, but I think they want to stretch him out a little bit coming back from Tommy John. All right, so one final question here before we hit the break. James Paxton or Robbie Ray as my fifth keeper? No draft pick penalty if that's in his league. Um, it's a quality start versus wins. Paxton or Ray? Phil, Paxton or Ray? Man, I figured you guys would be screaming Ray real quick. <laughs> um, I I think I'm I'm going to say Robbie Ray, to be honest with you, because James Paxton, um, man, towards the end of the year, it looked like his velocity was going down. Um, from what I saw, I think it was 1.5 miles an hour. Uh, and and the thing is, is that last year the guns actually changed a little bit. And I think everyone received like almost a half a mile an hour boost. So really, he lost almost two. Um, I'm not okay with that as far as a guy that has dominant stuff, has had injury concerns, but throws that hard. I'm not okay with that. So Keith? Robbie Ray. 
I'm going to go with Robbie Ray. I I think I honestly have Paxton ranked ab- above Ray. But if we're talking about a keeper here, you're talking about you've invested in both these guys. I trust Robbie Ray more in 2018 to perform. And they're so close in value that I think it gives him a little bit of a bump because of the injury risk of Paxton. Todd, where do you sit? 100% Robbie Ray on this one. Um, the only Ray's only missed four starts the last two seasons. That's because he got hit in the head by a line drive. So Paxton's very injury prone. Robbie Ray maintained um, almost elite level stuff even after the injury. So uh, for me, this one's easy. Robbie Ray. And I will make it a unanimous Robbie Ray on this. See, now I'm wishing I, I went Paxton so I could try and rope you guys into a, a board bet here. But I, I'll I do can't. a board bet. No, I'm not going to. So you ain't roping me oh. into that one. No, no can do on that one, man. Unless there's an injury clause. If you want an injury clause out, then we'll, we'll uh, board bet that one. What's funny is, is that's why I didn't want to talk first, because I just assumed all three of you were going to talk really fast about Robbie Ray, yeah. so I just sat back. It, it's close for me. I think I'll probably have shares of both this year. Uh, I, I tend, like, in, in drafting, I think I tend to lean Paxton. Uh, but I think Ray is is much more stable. But for me, I draft on upside almost 100% of the time. And that sounds silly because they're so close. It's not like Ray doesn't have upside. Like, he was a monster last year. All right, coming up after the break, we've got a bunch of keeper questions. Rotoware.com. Rotoware. Big shout out to the Rotoware uh, company. It's so goddamn comfortable. Can't recommend them enough, man. Yeah. High quality t shirts. Shout out to Rotoware.com. You see me rocking the shirts on the videos and stuff like that. Where'd you get that? Rotoware. That is courtesy of Rotoware. It's just it's just the highest quality of shirts. Yeah, I really like the baseball designs you got here. The shirt is beautiful. Everybody who I've talked to who has the shirt basically says they can't believe how good the quality is. Yeah, kid, I've seen you have been getting a lot of love. You said you've been only running for a little over a month. See, Yes, guys are tweeting out shirts. I'm seeing fantasy personalities everywhere digging this guy's shirt. I love the Run DFS shirt. It comes with baseball cards with all the different shirts on it. Rotoware or Twitter. Check out rotoware.com. Oh my God, is this, is this shirt making love to me right now? Like, what's going on? I love this shirt. Our next question will bring us to. Thinking of keeping Olsen over Belt in a points league. Am I crazy? Keith? I don't think he's crazy. Belt has kind of slid down so far in ranks for me that I just I don't see the point in rostering somebody with that little upside. So I'm going to choose that late in the draft. I'm going to choose somebody who could go on an absolute tear like Olsen did in like the 49 game stretch that he had. So in his 49-game stretch, and maybe it's a little bit more than that, a little less than that, but he did what Barry Bonds didn't do in, in some of his historic stretches. His ISO right now, albeit like 200 at-bats, is higher than Babe Ruth's ISO. Huh. So that's what I'm looking for late in the draft is somebody who can absolutely just make something happen. And he did that, which means there's probably regression coming for Olsen and he has a pretty range, a wide range of outcomes. He could deliver you top 50 value this year, or he could be dropped in eight weeks into starting the season. So, but belt's not going to do that. Belt's going to deliver, you know, mediocre results, even in a points league, which is his best format for probably six months. You're going to look back and be like, why did I roster this guy? So I'm taking the guy who I think maybe have enough pop in his bat to, to produce top 50 results. 
especially because we're talking about first baseman at such a deep position. If you're going to take a guy, I'd rather um, take a guy upside because I believe there's a lot of guys that can maintain what Belt does. Um, in Belt's defense, he did have 18 homers in 104 games last year. So he was on pace for a record year of the power, buying into the fly ball revolution a little bit more. But I would definitely go Olsen. I mean, the upside's massive. Brandon Belt, you kind of know what you're going to get. Um, I don't think there's going to be a gigantic eighth-year breakout for Belt, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm high in Olsen. You know, you want to, especially at first base, there's so many options. Almost every team has a really good first baseman. So give me the upside in Olsen. So, so you're telling me this isn't the year that Brandon Bell turns into Yonder Alonso? <laughs> I don't believe so. I, I mean, hope not, because I don't really want to talk about Brandon Belt more than this one time on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll make it unanimous again, I think. Or, well, Jeremy hasn't talked yet, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be unanimous. Um, oh, it, it is. Uh, so the on-base percentage um, is is a slight edge. I know that there's, you know, not that much uh, time that Olsen has been in the majors. But, I mean, he's had a 348 on-base percentage in his major league career, which is pretty decent. Um, he obviously shown the power that Belt never has. Uh, absolutely everything that's been said before. Upside, upside, upside. Now, the only thing I will add in this is why not both? Like, if you're going to risk your pick, go with Olsen, and then later on in the draft, because Belt is so far down on the list of first baseman, he's going to keep falling. Pick one up, decent bench bat, you know where his floor is, and his floor is kind of where it's... Yeah, but I don't, I don't want to own Brandon Belt in fantasy. I don't want to play fantasy if I have to own Brandon Belt. Like, <laughs> It's like rostering a second catcher. I think we've discussed this. And I'm playing in like 30 team leagues, 16 team leagues, and playing in really deep where like anybody who has a pulse, I'm drafting. But I still want those guys who barely have a pulse to be able to have like some type of upside. And so Brennan Belt's probably not going to be on any of my teams and apologize to his seven fans, (laughs) but... I, I don't know, man. I just I don't see the upside. Maybe he's a boring pick, and like you said, maybe he breaks out like Alonzo, but I hope he doesn't. Yeah. So in our, you just insulted all of the the Giants fans that we have. So I know we're, we're this is the battle of the Bay right now with uh, Olsen <laughs> and uh, and Brennan Bell. Yeah. So in our listeners' league, I believe in the twenty fourth round of a sixteen team league, that's when I got Brandon Bell to back up Alonzo. So you can get him super late. <laughs> so it's two players of equal. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, so a follow-up question. Is Olsen being overlooked because he's Joey Gallo 2.0, but with fewer Ks and higher average? I don't think so. I think his... Sorry, go ahead. No, his draft position right now is 120, which is basically a hybrid in between is he Chris Davis or is he like uh, Giancarlo Stanton, which he's neither. He's either going to be probably a top 50 bat, which is really unlikely based on his his track record, um, his, his strikeouts, and, and the way he swings the bat. And Chris Davis of 2017, which is basically unrosterable. So his 120 or 115 ADP is somewhere in the middle of that, which basically is really dangerous territory. You're, you're drafting him for his upside with, with a really high likelihood that he does absolutely nothing for your team. Right, and to clarify, you were talking C-Riss as in Crush Davis, not K-Riss. Yeah. Yeah, Chris Davis with a K is the only one that really matters. Right, um, it's the podcast. only relevant That's, fantasy one. Yeah, but I'm talking about the the, the non-relevant one. Sorry yeah. about that. Charisse. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. uh, what I was going to say earlier is, 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 is it really Joey Gallo 2.0 if it's fewer strikeouts and a higher average? Because like, that's what makes Joey Gallo Joey Gallo. <laughs> True. 
Um, so, I mean, I, I think obviously as uh, probably about the same upside, um, if Joey Gallo can, can find a couple of holes in his bat, uh, I think they could pretty much be the same player other than maybe the stolen bases. Uh, but I think Olsen is actually just a better player overall than Gallo. Um, I know maybe he made adjustments better than, uh, better than Gallo has so far in his career. But I, I just think that you have the better chance of, uh, Olsen doing something than, than Gallo, you know, showing something he hasn't shown over three years. All right. This next question is par, it's possibly going to divide the podcast here. So yes. your first pick in a keeper pool, here are your four names, Otani, Acuna, Moncada, or Hoskins. Keith, who do you keep? Uh, I'm going to pass. I'm going to see what Todd says and see if I can rope him into a, a, board, a board bet here. Todd, who do you pick? <clears throat> this is a tough one. So air, with Otani, you get dual eligibility, right? And so we're not – Yeah, I would this. say dual eligibility. I would, pro- I would probably go Otani. I know you guys love Acuna, but I would probably go Otani here. Keith, how do you follow it? Man, I think it's – to me it comes down to Acuna and Hoskins. Hoskins has already done it. I expect him to return top 50 value this season. Maybe he doesn't have the top 20 overall – value like in 2019 like Acuna does but man that's close for me we're talking about keep forever I'm going Acuna if it's like a capped where it's like keep for three or four years I'm probably gonna go Hoskins pretty much my exact thoughts um I I pretty much am not gonna have any interest in Otani Acuna on the other hand is a guy that I am highly highly interested in because basically he's Mike Trout um, from from everything that we've seen. He's Mike Trout with a little bit more speed. Or let me put it this way. He's what Byron Buxton was supposed to be. And and I don't want to put the Byron Buxton label on him um, because that's negative stigmata on this draft. Keith hates my players. Um, but at the same time, I think that they, they have a lot of really, really good similarities between the two. The only other difference is that Acuna really hasn't missed any time in the minors. He got time to progress. And and it's shown that that is something that is really really needed by the the younger minor leaguers. Um, so I agreed 100%. Acuna, if it's you keep keep forever. Hoskins, if it's only a couple of year contract. And and honestly, in in this year's drafts, I've actually ended up with those two back to back several times in redraft leagues. So I've gone Acuna like around 85, and then Moncada around 100. I think is what it usually ends up being in like a 15-team league. Um, so I'm not afraid of taking both those guys. I, I was kind of fading Moncada last year, expecting a little bit of uh, kind of time for his bat to figure it out. And now that I think he's had some at-bats underneath him, I expect him to perform much better this year. So I like both of those guys, not only in long-term leagues, but also, also in this year for the right price. All right. I would be sticking with Hoskins because I'm assuming this is just a, a one-year or a yeah short-term keeper type deal, but Okuna does have massive upside. Yeah, I think he'll be a first-round pick and as early as maybe 2020. I agree with that. Yeah. So, Keith, were you going to get this board bet, or did it not go the way you thought? No, I'm, I'm, I mean, we could make like a seven-year board bet if we wanted to, <laughs> but um, I think Let's think stick to a year by year. Be, yeah. Yeah, that, that's how I kind of viewed the question as kind of what the next um, – like kind of maybe a two or three year kind of deal, not, you know, a career, but. All right. Next question. You can pick one of these guys to keep for the next three years. Let's try to keep this one short. Betts, Chris Bryant, Carlos Correa, Paul Goldschmidt, or Charlie Blackman. That's bait. 
It is. All right, so me, it comes down to two players. It comes down to Mookie Betts for me or Paul Goldschmidt. Um, and I expect them to be in different places probably in three years, but I don't see any drop-off for Goldschmidt the next two seasons. Is this age 30 season? Is that what it is for, for Goldschmidt? Yeah, so this would be his age 30 through 32 seasons. There, there's no reason for him to drop off age 30 to 32. Um, I do expect much better production out of Mookie Betts this year and the next several years. And looking at his profile, man, he is one of the probably four or five guys that I've done a deep dive in this year that I'm just giddy about owning. I really expect him to take another step forward after taking a slight step sideways last season. Um, so it, to me, it comes down to either Betts or Goldschmidt, and I don't think Goldschmidt, age 32, is going to be that bad, so I'm going to go Goldie. Phil, where do you stand? Who do you pick? I am uh, going to duck here, but I'm going to go Mookie Betts um, because the reason that I'm going to go Mookie Betts is because I see a lot of uh, Mookie Betts and, and, and Acuna, and, and I see a parallel between them two players as well. Um, a couple of years ago, I was talking with a couple of buddies in, in a my home league, and I said Mookie Betts is going to be a first-round pick next year. They told me that I was crazy. Sure, sure enough, he was a first-round pick. Um, I, I just think that he's going to produce at an elite level. Um, he's going to be a first-round pick for the next three seasons. Uh, Goldschmidt, if, if he stops stealing bases, really, is he anything different than any other right. awesome first baseman? And that's that's the only reason that I would go Mookie, um, age, age difference for the stolen base reasons. Todd? Yeah, obviously I'm going to go Goldie here too. But <laughs> my, final, my final two was Goldie and Betts. Um, I think Mookie Betts is going to be – well, he is a consistent 25-25 guy. And also last year down the stretch, I believe he was battling kind of a, a wrist injury too, which may have hurt his second half. So I would still go with Goldie. I think you can lock him in for 35 homers, 20 stolen bases with potentially more at each position. So for the next three years, I would go Goldie, but Betts definitely close in second place. Can I hijack for just a second? Go for it. All right, so on the count of three, I want everybody to say who they would rank last in that question out of Betts, Bryant, Correa, Goldschmidt, and Blackman. Are you guys ready? For the next three years. For the next three years. One, two, three, Blackman. 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 Correa. Oh. Three to one. We had, we had a Blackman and a Bryant? No. Nope. It was Correa. Three Blackman, one Correa. Okay. And and you know you guys know how much I love Charlie Blackman, but I'm afraid he's not going to be in cores. Um, and then that yes, that is isn't, isn't going to be 370 anymore. Right. That is his downside. Is this is his last year in cores unless they resign him? And they've got They're cheaper cheap. options already ready to roll. I mean, yeah. Dahl is ready to fill that position. I just see the the difference between those one, two, three, those four guys and Blackman pretty substantially. I think. In a three-year, like this year, I'm probably going to own several shares of Blackman. I think he's being underrated. I, I tried to pick him last night uh, when I was picking like 12th and 13th on the turn. I wanted Blackman and Trey Turner, but of course they were picked right before me. So, uh, but I, but in three years, who knows what Blackman's going to look like? I mean, his profile, you know, kind of relies on his speed, stolen bases, high BABIP, getting to first base quickly. So. You know, in the next several years, and if he moves off Coors, I mean, that's a big adjustment. Exactly. Well, this one, this question boils down to who would you want out of this group in three years? It's not what did they do for you this year or what, it, what could they do for you this upcoming season. It's of these three, who will potentially be producing at first round quality? Correa, if he steals bases and continues his power output, potentially. Chris Bryant is just... He's pretty much Nolan Arenado. He's just going to be consistent, never potential for number one pick, 
goalie, there's possibility of decline. I mean, he's at that age where it could start dipping, like Phil said, with stolen bases would be the first thing to go for Goldie. Blackman, you don't know where he's going to be in three years. Um, and Mookie Betts is the one with the most upside of this group for three years from now. My my close, I, I know I said Blackman as far as the guy I don't want for the next three years, but if you could tell me Charlie Blackman is going to for sure be in cores, I would definitely have picked Chris Bryant. <laughs> 100 percent no you guys you guys laugh but i mean i like paul goldschmidt much better than than chris bryant i like correa um mookie Betts, and like i said if you tell me charlie blackman is going to be in course there's zero chance i'd take uh chris bryant over him right now for the next three years what about for this year phil for this year charlie blackman way over chris bryant i'll take that bet really Yep. Mark it down, sir. Blackman over. So just so standard. just standard five by five, whatever, yada yada yada. Standard five by five overall production or you know, player rate or rank player or whatever. Rater. Yep. Yeah. I will take uh, Bryant over Blackman. And so it shall be done. Marking this one down. You were supposed I was to, I was supposed supposed to get to Jeremy other and, people into this. I know. Yeah, you, and you always get me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, moving on. All right. After the break, we are going to dive into some more fun, interesting concept questions and a few other Grade My Trades. This week's episode is brought to you by the new reinvented XFL. You didn't watch it the last time around. Why watch it this time? Are you tired of the NFL and all of its politics? Well, tune in in 2020 to a totally reinvented football game. Football as it should be. No arrest records. And some convoluted playoff system? I'm sure it'll be on ESPN 8, the Ocho, right? And diving back in, we have a listener question from Pat. He's in a head-to-head league, and he's keeping both Bellinger and Jose Ramirez, and he needs two more from this group of three. Who should he keep? Yelich, Hoskins, or Robbie Cano? Firmly not Robbie Cano. Yel- okay. Yelich, 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 we've talked about already. You, you've heard the upside. Um, Hoskins, kind of the same thing. Robbie Cano is not something that I am going to get this year or any year, probably. And you already have Jose Ramirez to fill second base anyway, so move on. All right. So let me just ask it this way Who are you not keeping? Is anyone keeping someone other than Yelich and Hoskins? No, I'm not as down on Cano as Phil probably. Um, I looked into him a little bit more recently and not somebody I'm excited about drafting, but I think his the skills that he's put forward the last few years are definitely sustainable. I don't see like an immediate drop off for Cano, uh, but I would my pick would be Hoskins. You can keep two from this group of three. Yeah, I'm definitely keeping Hoskins and Yelich then. So let's move to the next question then. What patterns do you look for in a player to predict breakout years? Is it just the eye test? Are there metrics? Are there numbers involved? What patterns are you looking for? Keith? I want to hear, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I want to hear Keith first on this one. All right. So I, I look for a stable base, right? So a stable base, I'm talking about Alex Bregman. I'm talking about uh, Josh Bell. So good plate discipline, uh, good contact rates. And in the case for Josh Bell, he has everything he needs 
to take the next step forward, but he just needs to change one of his tendencies. So his tendency that he needs to change is his fly balls. So similar to what Ryan Zimmerman did last year, he went from a ground ball hitter to a fly ball hitter, and he was probably the first two-month MVP of the season. So Josh Bell has a similar outlook. If he was to change his his ground ball to fly ball rate, instantly he could have more success. That's slug success. That's OPS success. That's batting average success. That's home run success. All of that right there is waiting for Josh Bell. In the case for Alex Bregman, he has such a stable base similar to what um, you see in guys like uh, Mookie Betts, where at the young age of like 23 or 24, you kind of expect all of those stats, his contact rate, his power, his plate discipline, to take a smaller step forward. And at that point, he comes from like top 50 in all of those categories to like top 25 in all those categories. And that's where he takes a step forward. So um, as far as youth goes, I'm looking for a stable base where they can continue to, to kind of add on to that. Um, for older guys, like uh, Jed Lowry is an example. Um, Jed Lowry has seen a shift in his approach over the last probably 18 months, and he severely underperformed in his last four months of the season. And you may actually see him take a step forward here in 2018, like a 33-year-old step forward. Um, and that's based on more of a shift in his approach. So it could be plate discipline improving. It could be pulling the ball much more um, or changing to more of a fly ball approach. So in older guys, I'm looking for either pull percentage and fly balls. And then for younger guys, I'm looking more towards plate discipline. Cool. And then uh, some of the things that I actually look for, um, I know you have zero interest in. That's why I wanted you to talk first. Um, the first and second half splits, uh, players that kind of make adjustments, younger players, especially, um, I mean, you, you kind of hammered home for Bregman, but he was a guy that struggled early in the season and made adjustments. And towards the the second half of the season, he just flat out dominated for half the year. Um, he's a guy that I, I think I'm targeting, um, kind of the same thing with Byron Buxton a couple of years ago. Um, with his September uh, that he just absolutely dominated. I think he had like 10 or 12 home runs. Um, I mean, if, if a guy has the ability to do that over a short period of time, um, especially towards like the end of the season kind of thing, uh, I know some people throw out those numbers because of the September call-ups. You get you know worse pitchers in some situations, different things like that. Um, but you know, if, if you actually look at the numbers and see who they hit off what um, – that kind of thing. That's that's something I look at. Another thing I like to look at is um, guys that actually have prospect pedigree that, you know, maybe they flamed out for a couple of years and lost their prospect shine, but then they come back and they start hitting again or pitching well again. Um, that kind of thing is something that I look up for also, um, kind of the, the post-hype sleepers. Um, if those guys are the guys that you can really get a, an excellent value towards the end of the draft. And for me too, like – uh, especially what Phil brought up, guys who have a strong second half, I'm always really high on. <clears throat> Sometimes you can steal those guys a little um, later in the draft when their overall season stats didn't quite match what they did in the second half. Um, also for pitchers, teams that kind of take a commitment to building a better defense. Uh, for example, the Diamondbacks last season, they had one of the worst uh, outfields defensively. Uh, and then this year they went in and added some just better outfielders, less just my Tomas, more top 15 defensive outfielders. And you saw improvements. That's something where if the Giants, for example, improve the defense further, maybe that'll help their starting pitchers too. 
but those are kind of a couple things I look at. Well, and also with the Diamondbacks, you have to take into account the focus on catching, like a pitcher-first yeah. catching mentality rather than the offense. They went from yeah. uh, they went from Wellington Castillo, who was terrible with the gloves, poor rapport with the pitching staff, and you could see that that, that translated from the year to year focusing mm-hmm. on pitch framers and guys like that. So uh, having a, a mediocre catcher or a focus on pitching at your catcher's position can definitely cause some breakout status with the pitchers. Um, as for the eye test, well, I mean, you guys have covered most of the statistical evidence there, but the eye test was real last year. Like Aaron Judge in spring training, uh, we, we were kind of high on, and some of us figured the the freshman slump was going to take over and he was going to fall back to earth. And some of us traded away Aaron Judge. Uh, <clears throat> that was me. And, <laughs> and me. And the eye test still prevailed that he stuck around. Uh, the other eye test last year was, guess who's back? Back again was Mike Moustakis. And I, I don't know. Like, this... Spring training is going to reveal a lot about where guys are from a health perspective. Um, if they look like they're on the verge of a breakout season, and this could be some big, uh, some big factors for me. Seeing what happens with spring, less about the numbers, more about how guys are visually. So, based on this question, let's go uh, with a little Willie Calhoun. Does he have an everyday regular spot in that Texas lineup at second base, at DH, outfield? And is he worth acquiring in a pre-draft trade? Todd, do you know... What's your insight on Willie Calhoun? So, I'm actually kind of high on Willie Calhoun. I own him in the league we're all in, uh, our Dynasty League. He's a guy who hovered around 11, 10% strikeout rate, uh, 8% walk rate in the minors. Uh, with him, he flat out rakes. He had uh, 31 homers in the minors last year, 27 the year before. The problem with him, he's a terrible defender, but luckily in fantasy baseball, that doesn't matter a whole ton. Uh, I'm high on Calhoun. I think he could be an interesting sleeper. Uh, he kind of, I think he's going to get playing time to Rangers. I think they want to make him a full-time outfielder is what I've been hearing. So um, in the Dynasty League, Calhoun makes a lot of sense. Someone I would maybe target, but especially in drafts, he'd be a good late-round sleeper. In the in the short term, I'm I'm pretty intrigued by Calhoun. If he gets regular at bats, I'm very interested. In the long term, I'm not really sure where he fits into that defensive position for uh, for them. So I guess I'm a little bit uh, more reluctant. But this year, given regular at bats, I would like to own several shares of of Willie Calhoun, um, especially because I don't think their second baseman is very good. Um, and I think that <laughs> even though Willie Calhoun can't can't play second base very well. Um, he may be able to get on base at better than a 240 clip. So depending upon whether or not the Rangers want to score runs may depend on whether or not they want to play uh, Willie Calhoun. But to be fair, I mean, if you're giving up two runs and you're only scoring one, um, his, his defense does play a big part of this. I think that the fact that th- that lineup is actually pretty stacked, to be quite honest, um, there's it's going to be hard to find an everyday role for a lot of the players that we would like to see. Um, some of us would like to see Joey Gallo more than others, but that's uh, that's neither here nor there. But Willie Calhoun is a guy that if he does get regular at-bats, I think he could be somebody that 
just comes out of nowhere and, and, and does light up the uh, fantasy baseball community. So I think that keep an eye out for him, but I just really don't see a spot for him in the lineup right now. Well, isn't Gallo, isn't he going to be the everyday first baseman this year for the Rangers? Or I haven't seen that. I, I, I think that's, I think that's correct. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm looking at their depth chart right now and, some guy named Robinson's the backup for Calhoun right now in left field. So the outfield would probably be Calhoun, DeShields, and Mazzara, and then Chew at DH. So, you know, there might be an everyday spot for him in that lineup. And that's yeah. really what, where my value hinges. If you see him getting regular bats, I'm interested in, you know, ha- having him on my team. It's just if he starts playing three times a week or something like that, I'm, I'm not interested. And in Dynasty Leagues, I'm not, not really interested. I, I mean, in the next two or three years, I can see so, but... I don't really like the way that his body may um, develop. Yeah, well, he, yeah, he's a little guy. I think he's five seven, five eight, maybe. So he's like five seven, two twenty. Maybe yeah. he's not two twenty, but I mean, like his, <laughs> his body is not like a, a very you know he hits well, but he's not he's not moving all around the base pass for you. All right, so our last question here is Forrest Whitley, the second coming of Jesus. Yes. <laughs> Quick answer: Yes. <laughs> Defend I mean, your position there. <laughs> All right. So um, I know we were talking earlier in the podcast, uh, maybe off radio, but I was comparing him to kind of Ronald Acuna, but on the pitching side, um, he kind of well, he didn't come out of nowhere. Obviously, he was drafted pretty high. Um, what was he? The, well, seventeenth overall um, out of high school. So he didn't really do that great his first year. Uh, his second year, he dominated. He went from single A um, to uh, well A minus, like low A to high A to double A, and across those four or those three leagues, he amassed a what is it, thirteen point nine strikeout the uh, strikeout per nine ratio. I mean, he just absolutely flat out dominated. He had one hundred forty three strikeouts in, in less than a hundred innings. So. Um, if he can continue the climb the way that he is supposed to continue the climb, he's got front of the line rotation uh, stuff. He's just absolutely going to dominate. Here's his K per nine starting at the beginning of last year in A ball, advancing to high A and then double A. 13, 14.4, 16 at double A Corpus Christi. Is that good? That's that's pretty good. I mean, he's still walking like two and a half per nine, but when you're striking out 16, 16? Come on, man. Like, it's insane. Yeah, and, and I guess I liked him a lot better like six weeks ago when he wasn't really on anybody's radar, when everybody was still talking about Kopech and Reyes and some of the other top flight pitching prospects. Um, I was Walker Bueller and, and some other guys. But, I mean, yeah, I still am very, very interested. Yeah, I mean, he's for sure my number one pitching prospect in the Myers right now. Uh, but Bueller, I mean, Bueller and Kopech, those are guys that have a lot of control problems. And obviously Reyes is coming off Tommy John, so wait and see. But he's been absolutely phenomenal. It's just, it all clicked for him last year. He's been lights out. And the Houston Astros have set up very, very nicely for a lot of years to come. Yeah. Um, when he got to double A, he had a 0.81 whip. Um, now, I know it was only 14 innings, but man, oh man, those 26 strikeouts will help with your whip. All right, guys, it has been a great episode. Any articles that you've recently published or are working on, and where can people find you? Keith? All right, so I am writing up uh, Kyle Seeger tomorrow, and it will be posted probably on Thursday over at Baseball Prospectus. 
Um, I've written close to like 4,000 words in the last 10 days, uh, soon to be released on fan graphs for the player cap. So I don't know exactly when those will be published yet, um, but all of the um, kind of headings at the top of each player page for fan graphs, um, there's about 10 or 15 of us that are writing those. So you can look for some some kind of quick hitting analysis uh, for some of those guys here pretty soon. Todd, by the time the pods post, I'll have a new article about the Diamondbacks bullpen situation. They have like 40 guys competing for six spots. So <laughs> yeah, look forward to that. And you can find me at Goldie Happens. I am Phil, and I am at the Baseball Jedi. I have been Jeremy. You can find me at Front Office Jer. Tweet at the podcast at Fan Front Office. Visit us at our home on the web, FanFrontOfficePodcast.com. And until next week. Good luck in your mock drafts.